Thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud. Get it automatically. Make it easy for yourself. If you use the Stitcher app, it's there as well. You can find it there. Just do, you know, a little searching. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you choose. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Myfirstsketch.com is brand new. Check it out. More things are there. Any of the videos that we'll talk about, links, a blog, tons of, like, it's just a cooler site than it used to be. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com, and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion. We're about five weeks away from the 2019 Philly Sketch Fest. If you check the social media accounts, you can see the poster and the lineup. The schedules will be rolling out over the next few days and weeks. We're so excited about this festival. And for the next few weeks of this podcast, we are focusing on the performers that are coming to Philly Sketch Fest 2019. But there are two bonus reasons I'm personally excited for this year's festival. For one, I've been working on a show for the past few months, and it will finally premiere on the Thursday night in the 8.30 block. I'm calling the show Thought Bubble, a one-person show that takes you into the mind of some characters. And the second reason is the Philly Sketch Fest Podcast Mixer. On Saturday, June 1st, 2 p.m., it's an afternoon event. We're going to head to Tattooed Mom on South Street. We'll grab some food, we'll grab some drinks, and we'll have two live podcast tapings. A live My First Sketch, and then coming from Washington, D.C., our friends in Bad Medicine will host a live Sketch Nerds. So come hang out before the shows that night and have a little bonus fun. Now, last week, I also mentioned that if you head to MyFirstSketch.com and sign up for the Philly Sketch Fest newsletter right there on the front page, you'll be entered into a drawing for a Sketch Comedy Prize Pack. We'll do the drawing right before the festival, so you'll either be able to pick up the prize pack at the festival, or I'll mail it to you, or, you know, we'll make it easy, no matter how we do it. But as we look towards the festival, we start looking at some of the performers that are coming. Today's guest is Virginia Dickens. She's currently a member of Milwaukee, a house team at the Magnet Theater in New York City. Her first sketch is called The Instant Baby Bump. and It's an infomercial parody. Virginia reads the voiceover role, a female passenger, and woman number one. And I'll give you all the visual information because it is a commercial. And I voice one of the male passengers. So let's go to the sketch. The Instant Baby Bump. The scene opens with a brunette woman in her mid-30s, woman number one, on a very crowded subway train during peak commuting time. You hear the automatic doors closing, followed by the high-pitched bing-bong. Everyone holds on to the pole surrounding her. She appears exasperated and continually pulls her purse up on her shoulder. She then shoots an elbow into the person behind her while giving a repelled look. Are you tired of standing up during your long, exhausting commute in a crowded, smelly train? The train screeches to a halt, and a person falls into the woman. What about those days when you have too much to carry and nowhere to sit? Camera angle from inside empty subway car. Blonde woman in mid-30s 
Woman number two is carrying 10 shopping bags, walking onto train with a crowd of people. Everyone rushes to grab a seat before she can. Standing in the middle, she drops all of her bags in a fit of despair. And no matter what you do, you can never find an empty seat on the subway. Woman number one, a large hairy man in tank top, reaches to grab pole above woman number one's head. His armpit rubs into her face. A high angle shot as the woman screams as the camera pans out. Introducing the instant baby bump for women who need a break. Woman number one, while still while still under the man's armpit, she pulls a string under her shirt, inflating her stomach. A man with glasses taps her shoulder. Excuse me, miss. Would you like to have my seat? Woman number one smiles to the camera. The instant baby bump gives you the appearance of being pregnant in a matter of seconds. Woman number two pulls string to inflate stomach. A woman with young child is sitting. Woman notices woman number two and stands up. I'm so sorry. I didn't see you earlier. Please sit down. We see woman number two sitting, rubbing her stomach with all ten shopping bags at her feet and in the seat next to her. Woman with child standing nearby, holding onto the pole. Woman number two turns and gives a wink to the camera. The belly state-of-the-art design will give you the illusion of being in a third trimester of pregnancy. Woman number one in her bedroom, posing in front of a mirror in jeans with a fully blown-up stomach. She pulls a tight t-shirt over the stomach and rubs it smooth. And it's so easy to use. Wrap the plastic band around your waist, pull the very discreet string to inflate the plastic. Woman number one in her bedroom, demonstrating the product in bra and underwear. She wraps plastic around her waist and pulls the string. Ta-da! In a few moments, everyone will think you're expecting... Woman number two is shown entering a building with stomach inflated. Stranger opens the door for her and gives her a friendly wave with other hand on belly. The instant baby bump also works for cabs. Man in suit standing outside in rain hailing cab. Woman number one steps up behind him and yells taxi and moans over her and over back dramatically. Cab pulls up. Man turns and motions for woman number one to take the cab. And even in public restroom lines... We see a line of eight ladies waiting for one stall for a one stall restroom in coffee shop. The arms folded impatient. Woman number two walks to the front of the line, rubbing her stomach. All the ladies in the line motion for her to go ahead with warm smiles. Woman number two enters stall. With five easy payments of $9.99, the instant baby bump can be yours. Call the number on your screen in the next 15 minutes and we will send you the instant baby boobs free. Brief image of woman number one in bedroom mirror with inflated baby bump and baby boobs. Immediately after, the 1-800 number and payment options are on screen with smaller clips of previous footage showing. Call 1-800-BABY-BUMP now. Remember, in a crazy city, everyone and every woman needs a break, especially you. Commercial ends with woman number one sitting on a subway seat, very relaxed and happy with hands resting on her belly. Thanks, instant baby bump. The end. Hey, Virginia. Hi. All right. So tell me about this sketch. Tell me about your instant baby bump. (laughs) Okay. So this was uh, a first draft from the very first official sketch class I ever took at the Magnet Theater. Uh, The teacher was Armando Diaz. And I believe the assignment was to write a commercial parody. Uh, And so that's that's what I wrote. Um, I (laughs) Reading through it, yeah, I kind of forgot 
that this was one of the sketches that I, one of my early sketches, obviously never made it to stage or camera, but I chose it because uh, I actually, it's interesting. The themes in this sketch are actually themes that I've sort of developed through my sketch writing as I've grown throughout the years. Uh, so I thought that was interesting to see kind of the early, the early, um, an early example of that kind of coming through. That like, even all the stuff that you're thinking about now, like is clearly been in your head yeah. the whole time. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm very focused on, you know, women's um, issues and, and definitely things from a woman's perspective and reading through the sketch, obviously it's right now it's framed as a product to make um, life more convenient as a pregnant person, which is, a little bit ironic because it's actually very not convenient to be pregnant. Uh, so I think there's definitely space in there for a lot of other jokes. Um, mm. Like uh, side effects are people will unannounced go and touch your belly or, you know, yeah. usually uh, men actually don't help pregnant women as much as other women help pregnant women on the trains. Um, like things like that, that I think uh, in later drafts could have, you know, made its way in there. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's definitely still some more room to play with, uh, and like, I, like the first time I read this, uh, you know, a few moments ago before we start recording, I was just like, "Oh, this would be a nightmare to shoot." It would be a nightmare to shoot, and like, I, yeah, <laughs> that was the only thing I had in my head was like, ugh, like all the guerrilla shooting, or even like, even getting close to an empty subway car, like, and yeah, legit. I mean, uh, honestly, most of the sketch actually pretty much all of the sketch writing I do now is for stage anyways. Mm. So that's another reason I probably, or I just have to get super, super creative on how to put this on to a stage. Um, which yeah. Now my brain is already like, Oh, I could figure it out. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a very accurate thing that you like uh, in my history of knowing like sketch one ones is people writing, thinking about video way more than thinking about stage yes like i know i did it for sure like my first few sketches were definitely like video pieces yes and you're infinitely you're gonna get way more stuff done if you do it written for stage than for video because it's just easier to you know it's act on stage and uh yeah and now that i'm when i when i direct um newer sketch students that's my biggest advice for that if if I get a script and it's clearly written for, uh, to be filmed, um, mostly, I feel like most sketches can just be in one location. So that's always my advice is, or take this part of the piece and then elaborate this into just like, keep it in one place and then it's fine for stage. Um, obviously there are exceptions, but that's, that's always kind of what helped me, I think, um, make the transition. Yeah, and if you don't have like a dedicated crew, and if you don't actually have like the equipment yourself to f- film stuff, like just writing to film stuff doesn't make sense to me. No, and I don't. I mean, I I don't. I know people with equipment, but that means I'd have to pay them, and uh, money is something I don't have much of. It, yeah, it's still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Even even when you have connections to those things, there's still any number of hassles on top of it. Right. Like, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So this was a sketch 101 at the Magnet yeah. uh, with Armando Diaz, and I know that that's a relatively big name within the the Magnet system and yeah. comedy education. Yes. 
when was this class? Uh, this class was in December of 2015. Okay. Okay. Um, what other kind of stuff did you write in your Sketch 101 class? Uh, so level one with Armando is great because he uh, uh, takes you through a series of different kind of genre, yeah, like genres, I guess you could say, of sketch comedy. So I remember the first assignment is always um, to write about a pet peeve or like write a list of pet peeves you have and then write a sketch about that. Um, okay. And so I've, and now I've taken, I, t- I took that class twice. I took it once and then I came back a second time as they have like a big sib, which is a person that's already taken the course and you are there to like give notes to the other students and help out where needed, that type of thing. Um, but I always found that assignment very challenging. I, I'm not sure why. I think because I always had trouble heightening something that was a pet peeve because it already bothered me so much. I think it's easier <laughs> to heighten stuff that's, I don't know, maybe seemingly a bit, I don't know. I just would- it, 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 yeah, it would feel like you are heightening something that already annoys you to an effect and you don't want it to annoy you even more. Right, yeah. Like yeah. the one I wrote for that class was about like a picky eater, um, which I'm sure there are ways to you know, make that super weird and crazy. Uh, but some, you know, some, some places my mind just doesn't feel like going and I'm like, I don't know uh, if this is the sketch I need to keep writing. Um, but other examples in that class too were, uh, yeah, commercial parody, which we read and, um, we would have to come up with a desk piece, which is helpful, uh, just to take a stab at, you know, late night writing, um, uh, a character piece, which usually would be framed with the um, SNL, uh, um, Colin and Michael, Colin Joe's Michael Che, like have a and write a character for them, for okay. example, uh, and and then and then yeah, after that, I think it was pretty much revising um, whatever we wanted to really work on. Um, but level two, I actually preferred the second level at the Magnet Theater because it's pretty much just write whatever you want, but you have to bring in two new sketches a week. So that oh, wow. gets you into the habit of producing a lot of content in a short amount of time. For yeah, for four weeks, it's bringing in two new sketches, which is great because then by the end, you have eight potential sketches. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always say that one of the the main benefits of of you know comedy education like this, like a sketch class, is forcing yourself to have a deadline. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yes, <laughs> because I am the worst procrastinator. Like, yeah, like I might have an idea in my head, and it will stay there for months. But if I know I have to, if I have to show it to somebody that weekend, you know, it does give me a little extra motivation to. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, if that's why I love sketch comedy as well, because it is such a group effort and group mentality. And you know, all of these people are counting on you as much as you're counting on them. So it does force you to deliver. Uh, you don't want to be that person that has n- brings in nothing good or you have shitty sketches or, you know, you don't want to be that you want, you know, to, 
do well for your team. Um, yeah, you definitely don't want to be the weak link. Yeah, exactly. You want, and I always have that. Like, I always think any group or team or whatever is always as strong as their weakest link too. So you just want everyone to really be like pulling their pulling their weight. Um, and so that's why I love being on a sketch team as opposed to uh, like in more individual writing, like writing satire or something like that, which is more isolating and there aren't really as many deadlines. So it's in my opinion, harder to accomplish. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, as someone that's not on a permanent sketch team right now, like the individual writing is just a constant bummer of like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Like, mm-hmm. or I'll oh, say my notebook for now. Like, like I'm doing a show at Philly sketch fest and it's not written. Like it's not fully written yet. I was playing with it before we started talking and you have- I still have a, I still don't have a full first draft. Yeah. Like, what do you have a month? <laughs> yeah, I've got. I know I have time, but I wanted it to be. I've been playing with this idea for months already, so it should have been done. And but honestly, too, and I, I don't know if this is correct or not. I think every writer has their own methods of, you know, doing their writing. Uh, but for me, I always I, I think that if I'm thinking a lot about what I'm going to write that is part of the process for me. So even if I'm not physically sitting down working on a piece, if I'm thinking about a sketch, like over a series of days or weeks of when I'm doing other stuff and I'm like, okay, this beat could be this, or I need to change this to this, to this. And uh, I, I still count that <laughs> as working on it. Okay, good. Cause then I'm constantly writing. Cause I'm always like the, it's the actual, like I, I've, been joking with a couple of friends I, I need like a helper monkey that can type for me because mm-hmm. that's the part of the process i hate the most is like generating ideas and coming up with, with stuff like that and like trying mm-hmm. to put stuff in order i love but the actual physical typing yeah into a final draft or a word document is my least favorite part of the process <laughs> yeah no i i mean i'm i'm always the last minute writer uh which i feel i feel bad about sometimes because i'll be in meetings we'll be workshopping other people's work and I'm finishing up and <laughs> I feel terrible, but also like I, some of the, cause I'm not thinking I'm, I'm just in a, like a mad dash to get it out. And some of the best, which sucks. I wish it was like some of the worst stuff I've written cause I'd stop doing it, but it, it gets pulled off. And then I'm like, well, shoot, <laughs> uh, I'm being super rude. I'm super disorganized, but uh, this worked out really well in the end. So it, I know I can get away with it, which is not the best uh, tactic, but we're all, we're all working on it. In our <laughs> <own ways. laughs> uh, who was your instructor in the sketch 201 class at magnet? Um, that was also Armando Diaz. Uh, okay. The also, the, also the, uh, the other instructor. So Ma- Ar- Armando pretty much does every level one and then level two is split with Armando and Chet Siegel. Okay. Um, and Chet's great. I've also taken uh, Big Sib for her a couple of times for 201. Nice. Um, any other classes that you've done comedy-wise? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I did do improv uh, with the Magnet for pretty much all of the levels and then kind of decided that's just a thing I do for fun and I don't want to spend money on it anymore. Uh, <laughs> but I also took uh, sketch the whole, the entire UCB sketch program. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worked with uh, Jason Shapiro, Drew Johnston, Ryan Carls, and Michael Delaney. Uh, okay. My instructors over there. 
Okay. Um, let's go back to the beginning. What were you into growing up? What like what was your comedy fandom? Uh, I was a huge Seinfeld fan. Uh, that's okay. probably the the biggest uh, comedy show I ever watched as a child growing up. Like I wrote a paper about Seinfeld in like the eighth grade, um, which is kind of weird in hindsight. What was the assignment? I don't even. Rem- I honestly don't even remember. Um, but I wrote about it, and my teacher was probably like, "Why is your daughter like?" you know, watching the show. Um, and it actually was kind of fun growing up with that show though, because I just, I just loved watching it, but I never got most of the jokes. And then as I got older, I Mm -hmm. started to really, you know, I was like, Oh, Oh, this is like, that's a really inappropriate joke. You know, like I, (laughs) that, that all registered. And then I went through like a brief moment where I was like obsessed with Monty Python, um, Monty Python in the Holy Grail. I don't know why I ever expanded, didn't expand like past that movie, but I was obsessed with that movie for uh, a while. And I actually recently just watched it because it's on Netflix and yeah. it, uh, it holds up. I think um, it's still ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, a recurring theme uh, that whenever I talk to people on this podcast and Monty Python comes up, I, I have to say that I didn't understand holy grail when i first saw it at 15 like the ending to me which was like wait what what's happening like i didn't understand i forgot the ending yeah like yeah i was i was so confused i was so like wait no this isn't how movies end yeah like i was and you know i was like brushing my teeth the other day just thinking about the ending actually because i was watching it i was just a couple weeks ago and it was getting towards the end and i was like i actually totally forget how this movie ends and then you know, the ending happens to so the cop cars pull up. And, uh, and I was thinking about that and how it's kind of a, I was like, that's not really a satisfying ending, but also it works for them. Like yeah. kind of do whatever they want. Like it makes sense for, you know, for them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I'm okay with it. And it actually, it is pretty funny in like, I feel like a self-serving way that maybe it's just this universe where all these guys are running around like slamming coconuts, but you know, they're existing in modern day um, is, is pretty funny to me actually. Uh, yeah. And they're like this, uh, looking back with like modern terms, like now they're just uh, this gaggle of like cosplayers. Yeah. yeah. Doing this. Exactly. Yeah. Like LARPers in the, in the park on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is a lot funnier to me now than it. <laughs> I don't think I, I just ignored it. I was like, I'm just going to focus on, the parts I liked about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so where do you get to the point of uh, of sketch comedy? I mean, you mentioned like Monty Python; they're obviously a sketch group, mm-hmm. and Holy Grail, you know, has aspects of sketch within the the movie itself. It does, yeah. Uh, where do you get to the point of pursuing comedy? Uh, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting. Um, Interesting for me. Uh, well, in, in high school, I was lucky enough um, to do some improv uh, with the, I went to an, an all-girl um, Catholic high school, but the, the one of the local all-boy Catholic high schools, um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, so there's a lot of those types of schools. Uh, but I would do theater with the all-boys school, and they had 
um, in the winter off like theater season, they did improv, uh, which, so that was my first exposure. And they actually did it. It was really cool. They did a trip to Chicago cause we weren't far, you know, it was a, maybe a five hour drive, um, a weekend in Chicago where we saw, uh, second city, um, the IO and a couple other shows and somewhere, I mean, I think I was, I think I was 18 at the time, but there were kids with us that were not, you know, 16, 17 years old. And these shows were absolutely not like appropriate. We were like sitting front row at like an 11 PM second city sketch show, like, uh, like all of these like young teenagers, but it was really great exposure to that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. That's the coolest class trip I've ever heard of. Yeah, it was, it was, I don't know if they still do it. Um, but like, I remember, but we were up so late too. We caught, we would do back to back shows. Like we went to the old IO theater and then, uh, there was a theater above it and I don't know the name of it, but we walked, Oh, we saw comedy sports as well, but that was a different theater. Um, we walked straight above the IO to catch like this super late night show. It must've been like the 11, 12 o'clock showing or something. And I just remember, them performing this sketch it it was a musical and um it was about this girl and the song was basically i fucked a fat guy and she like got drunk and like (laughs) that was what the and i don't know we all just sat there and watched it and i thought it was like the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life and um i think they told the the following year they were like we're not seeing that show again but uh but it was Cause I'm like, I don't know how they got all of us into these like places. Um, but it was amazing. Yeah, it was, it was great. And like that, just that the energy and the environment and, um, and all of that. Uh, but then I, I didn't really like pursue comedy cause that was, I was a senior in high school then. And then I, I went to NYU, which I always kind of kicked myself cause that would have been a great place to pursue comedy. And I just didn't do it. Um, I studied communications and <laughs> did other, which a lot of comedy people do. So that's oh, fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I just didn't. Yeah. I think I, I had auditioned for a couple like plays and stuff like community ones and they picked all the Tish kids, which I was like, that's not fair. Cause Tish kids get their own plays anyways. They shouldn't also be in the plays that are for the rest of the students, but whatever. Uh, and, um, I didn't get back into it until I graduated and I got my first job and it was a really boring nine to five. And, uh, I was like, Oh, I need something. I can't just go to work and go home and sleep at night and do this again. It's is the worst. Um, mm. and I was actually really close to doing one of those. Cause I also do yoga and I was, you know how you can do like a, te- a teacher training. It's like 25, hundred dollars or something and you go through a training process and then you're like a certified instructor or something like yeah. that. So I was like, Oh, maybe I'll do that. And my mom was like, don't do that. That's too much money. Uh, <laughs> just don't do that. It's just too much. So I was like, all right, fine. I'll sign up for an improv class, which is what I did. Um, and so I took level one with Nick Canellis at the magnet and, uh, and then I, I hopped on the improv wagon for a while. They kind of suck you in. Um, I always yep. knew, though, towards, like, the end of my time in college, I was having this, like, deep-seated um, <laughs> thought that I was like, I want to write comedy. But I was so embarrassed to actually admit that because of just how how I grew up. I was always encouraged to be creative, but basically it was still, you know, get the job, pay your bills, yeah. Uh, support yourself. 
you know, writing isn't a career, you know, that type of mindset, which I think a lot of people get. Um, For sure. Absolutely. so, So it was really a deep seated thought. And I think, and I have this mentality too, where I, um, I don't, if I don't think I can do something like, uh, like 200%, like something that's amazing and incredible, I'd rather just not attempt it because I don't, I'm like so terrified that I'll fail at it. So I think that's why I put off doing sketch writing for so long. Cause I was like, Oh, improv's fun. I'll, you know, I'll just keep doing this. And finally I was like, all right, I'm going to take a sketch class. And you know, I took my first one and I loved it. Like I loved it. It was um, the best thing. So I was like, all right. And I made the switch over and, um, and yeah, just kept taking classes. Um, and shortly after that, that level one class I took, I actually took that. I had mentioned earlier when we were chatting before recording this, um, that it was at the time called lady sketch lab, which was a free sketch lab for, um, women, female identifying people at the magnet. Um, and I got a sketch up and into that show and put on stage. Uh, so that was like a huge ego boost for me. Um, very nice. Yeah. It was about, uh, it was about farting in yoga. Um, (laughs) and, and, uh, people still will like bring it up to me to this day. They're like, Oh yeah, I love that sketch. So, you know, little, little moment, you know, little wins like that. I, I feel always kind of help propel you forward because it's not always wins in the. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, how much time is there when like starting taking improv classes to taking sketch classes? Like how much were you wallowing within the improv world? Uh, I was doing improv for, I started that in the fall of 2014. I, I feels like more than a year, but at least a year I must've, okay. I feel like it was, uh, I feel like it was longer than a year, but maybe, yeah. I mean, I went through like levels one through five and then some, um, and was doing all these indie teams and stuff. I was, I was an improv junkie or what whatever you call it, um, for a while. I think junkie is pretty close to right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, why I, I'm always curious about this, especially when I talk to New Yorkers, because I mean, New York is blessed to have the magnet pit and UCB. Mm-hmm. Why did you pick the magnet first? Honestly, uh, they, <laughs> they had openings in a level one class. <laughs> um, it was just like the easiest one to get into the quickest. Like, yeah. UCB is like insane with that. And I think, you know, because they have the name, um, I literally yeah. typed in like, I didn't really know about UC. I didn't really know about any of that stuff. Um, and I just typed in like NYC improv classes. And I think UCB came up and especially to get into level one, cause it's such a high volume of people. It definitely whittles down as you go up, you know, the levels, but uh, it was all sold out. So I went to the magnet and I was like, ah, this looks legit. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and again, like the magnet does do free intro um a free intro class that people can take. But I was like, you know, I, I have done this before. It's just been a really long time. So, and, and again, I am a person that I'll do things if I have like a deadline or I'm being held accountable. And so I was like, Oh, if I give you my money, I'll show up to class. Uh, so I just signed up and showed up. Um, 
And it's funny because I'm actually a few people that I took level one and two improv with back way back in 2014. I still will collaborate and do shows with them today. So it's, it's fun to see that some people uh, stick around. Yeah. It's, it's uh, interesting, especially when you go through like a comedy education program like that, like to see how many people fall off the face of the earth Mm -hmm. with every class, like, like it's like it might like be like about half i feel sometimes like my first sketch one-on-one class i've i've never seen half those people ever again in my life like yeah and a lot of people drop out during the class especially sketch uh because i think and this is the biggest thing i hear especially from improvisers attempting sketch is the work (laughs) Um, that they don't expect how much work it's going to be and actually, I think that's why I prefer sketch to improv. Not to say it's like one's better than the other, just my preference. But I think for me, we can say one's better than the other. I'm okay with that. Well, for me, the payoff is better, <laughs> or it's, uh, the payoff is it's a it's a big, bigger payoff for sketch for me um, than improv. Improv is, is, I mean, unless you're a serious hardcore improviser, it's it can be a little bit you know, you just show up and you do it and then you leave and it's all cool. Um, and it's, it's chill and it's fun and whatever, but you know, sketch, there's a level, I think there's a bit more, um, you should be a bit more organized and professional about it. And there's more factors. And I like when all of those, I like all the moving pieces and then you get to see the fruits of your labor. Uh, yeah. Hoping that it turns out <laughs> how you, yeah. If, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm a snob about sketch comedy versus improv. Like, <laughs> yeah. Did you ever do improv? Uh, I haven't. Um, like, you know, like to a full extent, I I am not a huge fan of like improv for improv's sake. Mm-hmm. There's there's certain aspects of improv I really enjoy, and like to me, I'm very much from the like, the uh, second city mindset where it's more of a tool for writing. Uh, yes. Instead of just going up and performing and just you know playing around for 30 minutes like there's something magical about that for sure Mm -hmm. of of good improv but it kills me whenever there's a good improv set and they're like all right we'll just throw it away like i'm like no use it fix it like yeah yeah use that as a basis for something Mm -hmm. like like it oh that kills me i hate it i oh it bums me out so much and that is interesting too that you bring up um the the second city style because there there is a very big difference I think between the East coast sketch writing and Chicago style, uh, which, because they don't really teach improv to sketch really at all. Um, at least in the New York theaters, I've never done it personally, actually. I don't think, I don't think it would suit me also personally, but, uh, uh, but yeah, they don't teach that. Um, and, that's the one thing that I, I actually did take an online sketch course with second city, but I did, I'm going to, I had to stop halfway through just cause my plate got too full, but um, I was really interested in learning more of their styles, especially because I, I really appreciate the satirical elements that a lot of their, um, that comedy has. Like yeah. New York, you can put something up and it's just like totally stupid and like has no point. It's just, dumb and funny and you know that's great and and 
I've probably written a few things like that. Um, but I've always appreciated comedy too, that kind of serves a bit more of a purpose and has a point and they're trying to say something and maybe you don't laugh as much. Uh, like it's funny, but you're like, Ooh, that was, that was dark. (laughs) And, um, it's tricky because I'm trying to write more in that vein, but that's not really New York style. So I can only get away with so much. Um, yeah, I, I tried to go out to Chicago every couple of years and see a show at Second City. And the last time I went was right after Trump was elected. Mm. And I saw the show and like, you could tell that like between writing the show and what had happened that week with the election, none of them were happy yeah. that they had to do this material with him as the president-elect instead of like Hillary. Like, right. like that palpable like okay this is a, a reality now like but yeah like their their sketches like are so like chicago like art are, are are so satirical like the first time i saw them like it was all rod blagojevich jokes like throughout mm-hmm. and you know mayor daly and i think rob emmanuel and the last time i saw it too like like it's a very chicago very satirical thing for sure like and as much as I, I think topical humor uh, can be a an, a problem with some comedy because it just doesn't age very well, mm-hmm. yeah. Like there's definitely like a strength to satire and using it, right? For sure. And and not and not all satire has to be topical either. But only because I say that only because topical, honestly, topical sketches like stress me out a lot just because you know, you're putting on a one month or, you know, you're putting on a show and at least the pace that my team works at, we, we put up a show monthly. So it's like, Oh, I'm writing this now. Will this be relevant? By the yeah. Um, I felt. Yeah. Sometimes if you don't write it within the last three days of that show, like yeah. it, it won't feel, especially with like how much like the news cycle changes mm-hmm. and all the various late night shows and comedy and Twitter. And like, there's just so much information you need. You need to be in that environment where it's kind of, you know, you're working for hours on to produce something yeah it's it's the piece that i'm currently at right now it's too slow probably to have super super topical um satirical type of of work put up um i i tried to write a sketch recently that merged uh elizabeth holmes and us uh and it was okay and you know it didn't work out uh but um it was my director was like this is like one of those bad snl sketches where they just try to mash two topical things together and i was like oh thanks <laughs> um, but i brought it in because it was right when us came out and my whole team like how pretty much most of the team was like i haven't seen it yet is this gonna spoil it for me you know it might a little bit but it will still be topical if we put it up on stage by the time we have our show and uh yeah, I kind of spoiled it a little bit, but it's it's fine. And then I stopped writing. I wrote other <laughs> things, and anyway, so it was all for nothing. But I applaud myself for trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're gonna take a little detour. You mentioned, you know, like the director mentioned the bad SNL sketch. Yeah, uh, SNL's the juggernaut. I ask everybody. I'm always curious. Do you have a favorite SNL cast member? Um, that's oh geez. Um, I yeah. Yeah, Kate McKinnon's probably my favorite. Um, she's still on SNL, right? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yep, she is. I feel like it changes so much. I don't watch all the time. I'm the, I'm the worst. Um, yeah, she's my favorite for sure. That 
I'm not, yeah, I, for some reason, I'm not, like, a huge fan of, like, the entire cast right now. Um, I don't, something about, I don't know if the chemistry's off or if there's, like, just too many, like, white guys on it <laughs> that I'm like, what is this? Uh, but I think all the women are incredible. Um, and, yeah, but Kate McKinnon's, like, she's killing it. Um, I don't think, I feel like she won't be on for much longer because she just, like, is doing so much cool shit. Uh, she just got cast as a little. I was say she just yeah. Which I was I was like my world. I love I love like documentaries and like conspiracy like um like conspiracy theories and like crime and all that shit too. And I'm always like my it's like my worlds are colliding in the best way possible. Uh, that they got Kate McKinnon to play her um on that Hulu movie or show. Um, I have, I have a weird feeling that this is going to be a, a mass exodus year of people. Yeah. Like I, uh, there's a there's a part of me that thinks. Kate McKinnon's gonna go. There's a part of me think that thinks AD Bryant's gonna go. Like, yeah, she just, you know, it's, I think once you get like, you know, AD Bryant has shrill, like, that's amazing. It's kind of once you have all of that going on, I don't think you really need to be on SNL anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think that's kind of a, I don't know, it's like a sim, like one and one you kind of have to like pay it forward, I think, like, leave that space open for newer talent. Um, and also, yeah, go work on, it's a huge time suck. And obviously if you're successful doing, you know, sh- your own shows and movies, go do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, it. there's other opportunities out there. There's other stuff uh, like with the amount of material and networks and uh, like just, there's just so much stuff being created. Mm-hmm. You can't keep track of everything. You can't watch everything. No, you can't. But you, can't. you have to keep working on stuff because like I was, I was listening to a podcast. I forget who it was, but it was a writer, and they mentioned all the credits that that she had been on the writing staff in the last year. I was just like, "Why do you need five jobs?" Like, <laughs> I understand like TV seasons are shorter and everything now, but like, Take you were just a staff writer on five different shows. Yes, it's crazy. How like how is that possible? <laughs> Goodness, I'll do one of those. Oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, oh. Uh, Goodness. All right. So uh, let's talk about Milwaukee. Okay. Yes. Uh, you mentioned, you know, you had done a couple Indian improv teams and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Milwaukee your first sketch team? No, Milwaukee is my third sketch team okay. uh, with the magnet. Um, I was on a team called Kinfolk for their second season and then we got cut. And then, <laughs> uh, then I was on a team called Chico Splits. Um, or we had one season and then, you know, we just didn't really gel, um, which happens. Uh, and then, and then got placed on Milwaukee. So we're a year old. Um, we are formed literally a year ago as a brand new team. Um, okay. And we're in our third season currently. Uh, can you explain to me? Um, Cause I think I've heard about this before, but the, the season program that, that, that the magnet does. Yeah. It's uh, with sketch teams. it's for sketch teams. It's, um, twice there's a a fall winter season and then a spring summer season so there's two chances to you know if you're applying to be on a team then you have those two opportunities um and obviously at the end of each season you're up for kind of a re-evaluation of whether or not you're going to stay together or not and that's based on there's a director of the full program that comes to every show gives notes that type of thing but also you know they give each team a survey 
uh, for feedback to say, you know, how am I feeling good on this team? Do I want to work somewhere else? Um, do I want to stay? Do I want to stay in the program? Do I want to quit the program? Uh, all of those things. So they, they do take in a lot of everyone's points of view into the equation. Um, and generally speaking to audition as a performer, you have to have taken through, I think like level six of improv, um, which is the whole program, um, which is fine. I, it's a little tricky when you're pulling actors from, uh, in improv theater because mm. I think uh, really good actors can improvise, but not all really good improvisers can act. Yes. Uh, so, and I don't know exactly the rules because there are some exceptions where if you have like equivalent experience at other theaters and that type of thing, they, they would let you audition. So we have some amazing actors on our team that actually have like never taken a class at the magnet. Uh, but I think it just enriches the program. Um, and especially the last couple of seasons, there's been a, a huge push to increase diversity. Um, so for like writers and performers, I believe it was, you know, if you're um, a woman, person of color, LGBTQ, uh, and you had equivalent experience, but not at the magnet, you were able to apply um, just to, you know, widening the the net yeah and it's it's yeah. really great then we're it, I, you know working on a team where you have different um points of view uh as opposed to just you know everyone writing the same stuff um so i really appreciate that i think i don't know it changes a little bit each go around um but yeah that's generally the the process um and there's six teams that perform on mondays and then uh two teams that are technically out of the program and they perform every Friday night. Um, and that's the executives and nitro girls. At the, and uh, the executives is the longest running sketch team at the magnet. Okay. Yeah. They're also coming to oh, Philly sketch this year. I didn't know that. Um, so tell me about uh, Milwaukee. Like how would you describe a Milwaukee show? A Milwaukee show. Uh, we, we have a lot of fun. Um, we it's a nice mix of we we do have some more satirical political type of comedy, but then also just some like really dumb, stupid stuff. Uh, so it's it's a good blend of the two, I think, um, and especially with like my writing style and some of the you know, it's kind of split, I'd say like fairly equally in terms of writing style that some are more slanted towards, you know, maybe making like a, a, a certain statement um, and then, or maybe making the audience a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, and then the other half is like, oh, I, uh, I, this was, this was our first show ever. Like we had like a runner where it was just this guy that was the tallest man in town. And he just like showed up and got things because he was the tallest man in town. Like just like really stupid. And he wasn't even that tall. Like it just like, I don't know, just really, really just high shelf. Like, yeah, just really dumb. Um, but it, it, it's, it's funny. Cause it ties, it, it kind of ties everything in, in together. Um, uh, 
so yeah, that's that's pretty much our our style. We have a few new members um, for our third season, so we've only we have one show under our belts. But uh, actually, our next show is on Monday, um, so it might evolve a little bit. But that's that's what's cool about it too. Um, and with with new people coming on every season, and like, how is the the process of of getting them to gel into an, a pre existing team like that then yeah it's um uh it's actually been fine uh for us uh we were fortunate i think to get some like really amazing actually everyone that was newly added this season i have already worked with um in various degrees and i think a lot of the people on our team have as well so uh i was just like oh hey you know great to be working with you again um but I think also, you know, having the same director helps that as well, uh, kind of keeping a unified voice. Um, mm. Plus, yeah, it is, uh, you know, it, it's still majority of the original members, I would say, on the team. So it is, um, you know, all of our joke pitches, all of our feedback, um, even just how our, you know, how our actors approach um a sketch uh that it still you know can maintain uh a bit of uniformity what other projects do you have any other like projects that you're working on now other than milwaukee um i do i am directing a show uh that is going up at the end of april and it's um it's called unverified a sketch show without a character limit and it's based off of uh it's just going to be a 25 minute show um, sketches all based off of tweets that the writer tweeted at one point in time that did really well. Um, so I, cause I'm uh, a huge Twitter user, probably to a major fault. But, uh, <laughs> I, I made the writers pull their Twitter stats. So, you know, we all sat and went through our, um, our best performing tweets and, uh, we're writing sketches based off of those, um, which has been very interesting. It's been kind of a challenge uh, because a tweet is usually just such a like throwaway thought. Yeah. But these ones obviously did well for a reason. So it's kind of making us sit sit with them and think about, you know, what made this so funny and how can I elaborate on it? So I think overall it's been a really good exercise. Um, I would love to like keep doing – it's my first time putting this up. Um, so I'd love to keep doing it uh, if this – show goes well I don't know um we'll see um and then yeah I'm also directing uh a show called Cleveland of New York um and it's about uh it's about like um how do I describe it uh it's it takes place as sort of a children's show format um with like an alien character but it's overall making a statement about the immigration system uh and it is written by um two great writers at the magnet Fred Chong Rutherford and Elsa Bermudez and um, so I'm directing that show but we're still in like post-production um but this one's really cool because we're going to put it up at the magnet but then also probably try um, you know, other places get involved with, uh, nonprofits that are, um, working in the, um, with the immigration crisis going on right now. So we're trying to make it, you know, um, 
really, you know, useful, send the profits back to uh, those nonprofits um, that we would make that type of thing. Uh, so it's an exciting project, a, a much bigger project, um, something I haven't quite worked on anything like this before. So uh, I'm anxious to see to see where it goes. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, um, I always ask, uh, is there a piece of information, a piece of knowledge, a piece of wisdom that you would pass on to someone that's new to uh, comedy? It could be something, you know, like practical and technical about, you know, about writing or something like, like existential or philosophical that you've learned. Yeah, um, actually, yes, I do. And uh, right now I'm reading the book, Poking the Dead Frog. I don't know if you've read it, uh, but I, it was recommended to me like ages ago and now I'm finally reading it. It's, it's interviews with um, all, with all comedy writers uh, from really all walks of comedy from like radio shows back in the fifties to SNL to community and to Seinfeld, you know, they have the onion um, writers from all walks uh, being interviewed in this book. And it's actually, it's a super entertaining. Um, and so what I gathered from that, it's actually been very reassuring for me to read because I've always been like, Oh, I don't, I don't write enough character pieces. I don't watch enough co- television. I don't do, you know, I don't do enough in any one area. Um, but my advice is to, is that that's okay. <laughs> and, uh, that you don't have to, you know, write what you like to write and what you do find funny and, um, don't feel that you have to do anything, uh, that other writers are doing when I say that, I mean like watch every single episode of, you know, SNL or of parks and rec, you know, if you, if you don't, if that's not necessarily your thing, um, because there's a knit, a niche for, for your style. Um, so it's more productive to buckle down on what you like and what you're, you know, you're good at, as opposed to, you know, trying, trying out everything and, potentially spreading yourself too thin. Um, Hmm. That's my main takeaways of reading this book so far is uh, like literally what, because I don't watch a ton of comedy actually. Um, I think just because I do so much of it that like, honestly for me to like unwind at a long, after a long day, I watch like a murder show (laughs) um, and I love it. And it's not funny at all. Like the, the content and it's like the best thing in the world. Uh, And I was reading one interview with one of the original members of the onion. And she was like, you don't have to watch that much comedy. Like it, you know, because then that's what's out there now. And you might think that that's the, the specific style that you have to have. And that might then limit your, you know, what you're doing, what you're currently working on. And I was like, thank you. Because <laughs> I always feel so guilty <laughs> for not watching that much. Uh, so it's it's a great book, too. I highly recommend it. It's called Poking the Dead Frog. Um, for anyone that is looking to write anything in, in the comedy space. Um yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's my advice. And, you know, just to keep, you just have to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I mean, we talked about it a little bit when you mentioned, you know, graduating college, getting your nine to five and either doing comedy or becoming a yoga instructor. <laughs> yeah. But 
why comedy? Why has comedy been the thing that has hooked your free time? Uh, I, I, well, one part of it is I, I love the people that I get to work with. Um, if you're fortunate enough to work with amazing people, that really makes all the difference. Um, and also, uh, I've always felt like I've had, I mean, I think everyone has something that they can say and share with the world that adds value. Um, I think for me, comedy is my way of doing that. Uh, you're not, you know, there aren't really any rules in comedy. You can say what you want about, you know, anything that's, you know, fucked up in life. And there's a lot right now. Um, so one, it's, I think, an outlet to personally kind of process how do I feel about these things? Um, you know, why does this make me angry? Or why is this, uh, why do I feel so strongly about this thing? It's a way to kind of process it and then to be able to share it in a way that makes people laugh is amazing. And I think it's a great gift um, to be able to give to to others as well. Um, so that's why I, I stuck with comedy uh, and, you know, still working through a lot of those um, aspects of it. Uh, but yeah. And, and, and also on top of that too, I think I'm a, I'm a creator. So I like to, I like to make things and see um, my, you know, the end product and I'm, that's just always how I've been. So especially that's why sketch is so great. And I think why I went that way over improv is, you know, it's tangible. I have a script, I have a filmed, um, I have a filmed show. I can work with these things more and keep developing them. Um, So that's another big part of it for me. Absolutely. I totally agree with that last part though, with the, the tangible Mm -hmm. piece of it for sure. All right. Thanks Virginia. Yeah. Thank you. Virginia and the rest of Milwaukee are coming to Philly Sketchfest. They're going to be performing Friday. No, they're going to be performing Friday, May thirty first. You can see Virginia's other show, Unverified, a sketch show without a character limit, at the Magnet Theater on Monday, April 29th. and then Milwaukee will perform next on May twentieth. More information on all those shows can be found at magnettheater.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at Philly Sketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.